0: Oh, good morning. Let's try it again. Good morning. Good to see you today. You know, we're in a series called Reality. And this is, uh, I believe, part four in the series. And we've talked about everything from DNA and, and how your memory uh, is stored in DNA and how now Silicon Valley is actually using human DNA to store memory because we don't have enough space. Uh, anywhere to store all the information that we're gathering as human beings. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? Talked about memory and where memory comes from and how we develop that and how that ties into the Word of God. Uh, we've talked a little bit about time and now we're going to talk today about light. And light's such a fascinating subject. We uh, we kind of say, I I understand light and I understand darkness in the sense of reality, the five senses, but is there more than that? Is there a way that we can grasp this idea of light and darkness in a better way and then make application in our own life? So this week I was uh, doing a little bit of studying and I kind of jumped into the world of black holes in space and some of you may kind of know what that's all about. If you do, you know more than most people in the scientific world do because it's very, very unknown. But there's some things I want to give you, and I want to try to start with a basic definition from NASA, and that'll kind of get you started. If this is your first time visiting, you wonder, did you just enter into a physics class? No, I am not qualified as a physicist, so I'm going to try to tie in some basic principles into the Word of God. But here's what NASA says a black hole is. It's a place in space where gravity pulls so much that even light cannot get out. The gravity is so strong because matter has been squeezed into a small space. Now, I read that. I'm not sure how that works and how that happens. But let me just kind of put it in this term. If you could take basically a star, and you could take that star and crush it down, compact it in as tight as you can, down to the size of... um, uh, let, let's just put it this way, 10 times more massive than the sun that we currently enjoy, which is basically an average star in our galaxy. But if you could take it down and, and you could take 10 times that size, squeeze it down and into the, approximately a sphere the size of New York City, you would have a black hole. And that black hole, because you've crushed so much matter into a small space, it would create an increased gravity. A gravity so intense that it would really suck in everything around it and pull it down into this this vortex of singularity. You go, wow, what's that all about? Basically, it's the idea that there's a phenomena in space that I believe has some applications for us today. I think we can understand a little bit about black holes and we can tie it into what God has done and what God is doing in our life. I'll put it another way. There are black holes in our universe that are growing at a rate greater than the galaxy that they exist in, and the idea is that it's possible that a black hole could consume every star within that galaxy that it particularly finds itself in. Now, that's an interesting phenomena, and I began to think about it in terms of application. How do we make that an application into the spiritual realm? And the first thing that came to me was prophetic in terms of thinking about end of days, future events, the book of Revelation. And so, my mind went over to Revelation chapter 8, and I just want to read that for you. Uh, This is during uh, part of the judgment that takes place during the Great Tribulation. And it says this, then the fourth angel blew the trumpet, and one-third of the sun was struck, and one-third of the moon, one-third of the stars, and they became dark. I thought it was interesting, just the idea that stars can become dark. That's literally what a black hole is. It's a star that literally collapses and then becomes a black hole. And it went on to say that one third of the day was dark, and also one third of the night. So, part of the phenomena that happens in the end of days is a, a phenomena that those on earth could actually witness. They could watch. And we we've said often that the Bible is not a science book, but where it makes reference to science, it's accurate. And when I make that comment to people who are friends of mine who are scientists, but maybe not necessarily Christians, they say, oh, yeah, like where? And I say, well, you know, like God hangs the earth on nothing, and he sets above the circle of the earth, and the Bible records that 2,200 years ago in 700 B.C. And how did Isaiah and how did Jeremiah know those facts about the universe? Not because it was purporting to be a scientific book, but rather because when God spoke and it related to science, it was accurate subterranean mountains are an interesting thing in the ocean of new phenomena basically because of modern science and the submarine and and different probes we can send down and yet jonah made reference to that in his book he talked about being carried by this great whale to the bottom of the ocean and there were mountains there and then he also talked about rivers underground rivers in the bottom of the ocean in fact how did he know that 2600 years ago how did he understand some of that depth and that magnitude, unless it was by divine revelation, we could go on and on and on about those facts that God brings to light. But what we want to do is take you to a second application from the prophetic. Now I want to take it down personal, and I want to I want to look at Matthew chapter six and verse twenty-three. Now Jesus has got his his disciples gathered around, and they're they're he's doing something called the Sermon on the Mount. And some of you remember some of that, you know, blessed are the meek, they shall inherit the earth, and all those kind of great teachings. But there's another one here in in Matthew chapter 6, verse 23, it says, if therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? It's such a curious verse, it kind of makes you want to say, what did he say? He said, what if you have light in you? What if you have God in you? What if you have truth in you, and yet that light becomes darkness? It says how great indeed is that darkness. The idea is that you are a follower, or at least on the surface a believer in God, and there's some enlightenment that comes from God. But you begin to move into the realm of darkness, meaning that you choose to walk away from God or choose to go your own way, and what happens is the darkness begins to grow instead of the light. And the darkness in you, like a black hole, begins to consume, like gravitational pull, uh, everything around you, and all of a sudden what started out is maybe like... I'm just going to dabble in this, becomes full-blown and it becomes all-consuming and it basically is canceling out all the gravitational pull of the light and to where light cannot operate in your life. But then it's not content with that because we all know that there's not a contentment that follows path, the path of the black hole in space it always seems to consume whatever's around it. As it grows, it consumes more and pulls it down in and crushes all all the light from from the start. But the same thing's true with people you know. People you know, what they do is they live their life. If they're operating in darkness, they're never content to operate alone. What they want to do is they want to bring you into their darkness, they want to bring you into their gravitational pull, and in so doing, they're, they're, they're literally, the darkness is taking out the light from their very soul. And so you, you see how that works, and usually it comes something like this, hey, don't worry about it, everybody's doing that, or, you know, what difference does it make, or I don't think God's really that concerned about that, and, and it doesn't become that important. And yet you know deep down in your soul it's important because if you're a believer and you're walking with God, you know contentment. If you're a believer and you're not walking with God, you know the greatest discontentment. Because you're really not functioning in the world that you were recreated for. You're trying to function a world outside of the world that you have been recreated in Christ Jesus for. So you're not happy. The world is not really satisfying like it used to be. And, of course, Christianity is not really satisfying because you're not walking with God. So what most people do when they come to that place in their life is they begin to avoid church because church becomes the symbol or the reminder of the darkness within. And it really doesn't work that way because what you're really doing is you're working against yourself rather than for yourself. You're cursing the ground that you walk on rather than blessing the ground that you walk on. And the reason that the gathering together of believers is so important is not because you can't get truth out of your Bible or you can't find it in a tape or a book or on TV. It is because we need one another. We need that constant reminder, that encouragement, that we're in this together. And that there's something you can see in the eyes of someone else that you can't see apart from that that experience. And so you see somebody and they say, how are you doing? And they say, fine. And you look into their eyes and you know they're not. You as the body of Christ and has opportunity to minister, to, to begin to push light back into that person where darkness is starting to consume that person. You see, God didn't accidentally come up with the idea of the local church. Jesus Christ died on the cross, rose from the dead to establish the local church for its gathering. That's why the Bible says that we don't, stop assembling together, as is the habit of some, but all the more as you see the day, the day of the return of Christ, as you see that day coming. In other words, it doesn't become less important, it becomes more important for you to do that. Because why? Because darkness, the black hole of this earth, continues to grow over and over again. Now, an interesting thing, when you study this idea, we think about darkness and light, and we kind of understand a bit of it in terms of the spiritual connotation. Light is good and darkness is bad. But let me take you to this idea. Darkness is, dis- is not dispelled, but it's divided. Darkness is not, not dispelled, it is divided. In other words, darkness never leaves just because you walk in the light. As you walk in the light, the darkness becomes more dominant, you see it more easily, right? But let me take you to Genesis chapter 1 and verses 3 and 4. God said, then God said, let there be light. Now, if you know that context of the book of Genesis, you know that it says that God created the, uh, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was void and without form, verse 2. And darkness was over the face of the deep. And so you just assume that God started with a black, velvet, unlit sky. But this has nothing to do with the darkness and the light we think of. This has to do with the darkness of evil and the light of God. Because it says here, God said, let there be light, and there was light. But let me remind you, it wasn't until the fourth day that God created light, the sun, the moon, and the stars. So the light he's talking about here is not the light we think of. It's the light of God. So watch this thought here, because it says that God divided, he distinguished it. So let's just put it up this way. Let's put light, darkness, before verse 2 of Genesis. Okay? And we see that they seem to be together. But what God has to do is God has to take and he has to divide this because something bad happened in this realm. Something evil happened. You see, God divided it, but it wasn't always divided. You see, darkness became darkness in the middle of light because of the fall of Satan. And when Satan fell, and I believe that happened right after verse 1 and before verse 2 of Genesis... What happened was it brought this darkness into the land, and God said, I'm going to stop this. I'm going to divide light and darkness, and light is going to be where truth is, and darkness is going to be where falsehood is. But you see, it wasn't because darkness was intrinsically evil. It wasn't. God had to divide it for a reason. So darkness occupied space previously reserved for light. That's what space does. You've got outer space, and you've got stars that are functioning, and they're functioning. They're fine with light, but all of a sudden, a star dies. It's kind of like when your soul dies. And when your soul dies, your gravity increases for evil, and it's space designed for light, but you've given it over to darkness. And now it begins to pull at a greater rate of speed than ever before. That's why people say, I don't know how I got into this mess. Well, you got into this mess a little at a time, but the gravitational pull increased because as you did that, you weren't fighting against it with light. And if we understand how our heart works, it makes a lot of sense. You see, the light that we read about here in Genesis chapter 1, 3, and 4 is is uncreated light because God is light. Let's look at that John chapter one versus First uh, well, John chapter one verse five. It says that God is light. So what is light? God is. He is light, and in him is what? No darkness at all. So there's no, count, there's no mixture of darkness in God. God is pure light. The goal in our Christian life is to be as much light as we can not to hide the light, not to quench the light, but to fuel the light and, to, and to, to push the light forward in our life. But what happens is when we try to live our life a little bit differently, we kind of live it like this. We say, well, you know, I'm going to live a little bit over here because after all, we're all only human. How many times have you heard that? Well, after all, we're only human. See, that was only true before you came to faith in Christ. Once you came to faith in Christ, you became a son of the living God. You became not one who was subject to time and space, but now you have eternity in your heart, written in you, and now you have a divine perspective on life. And so what happens is we find ourselves fluctuating like this between this line, and sometimes we're over here and sometimes we're over there, and whenever we're living our life in this way, it's never contentment. So God says, let me show you the value of moving over into this realm, and I want to bring to you new light. So darkness is other dimensional. When we think about darkness, we think about we turn all the lights off in here, and it's dark, but there's still light in here because there's still some light particles. It's not absolute darkness in here. You see, absolute darkness is what the Bible describes as being separated from God in hell. That's absolute darkness. We were visiting a number of years ago. Our kids were little. We were out in Colorado, and they took us down in this cave, and we kept going down in this cave, and you, it was getting darker and darker and darker. And, you know, it was part of what happens the way your brain works is you have a memory of light. So you think you're seeing light, but you're not seeing light. It, it's kind of, you know, it, it's kind of phantom. It's in your brain. But you finally get down there, and the guy turns off the, guy turns off the light. And it's like weird dark. He said, we're in here, we're almost at absolute darkness. He said, if you stay down here, and I can't remember how many hours or how many days it was, but I'll just make up a number. Let's say it was two weeks. If you stayed down in here for two weeks in absolute darkness, you would go blind. Now, I don't know if that was true, but my kids believed it. But I thought, isn't that interesting? If the longer you live in darkness, the less ability you have to see. Have you ever talked to people and they say, I really can't see what you're saying? What they're really saying is I don't have insight into the perspective you have because they're living in darkness or they're toying with darkness so long that they lose the ability to then see into the light that God, and that's the way God designed you to to be. You can live in more than one dimension, as we kind of illustrate here, you can live over here and you can live over here, but when you start to move over here, it, it becomes less satisfying to you. And you, you say, I, I'm not satisfied over here. I'm not seeing it. I don't understand it. But God wants us to live in the light and let the light continue to grow in our heart. Do you realize you have an unlimited capacity to understand God? Your capacity to understand God is not based on your brain. It's based on your spirit, and your spirit is eternal. eternal. So you can always be getting new information from God and seeing God in a new light because there's unlimited capacity there. But guess what? The darkness is also unlimited. It it is unlimited. You can go as dark as you want to go. Because you're a divine creature, you see you're created in time, but you're made for eternity. And as an eternal creature, you get the opportunity to experience eternity on earth and eternity in eternity. And what a marvelous blessing that is. Let me take you to Colossians chapter 1, verse 13 and 14. It says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. He delivered us. Do you realize that it says you have to be delivered? My wife and I were having this conversation about what's the most stressless job you could get. I was saying, well, like, like, you know, because sometimes, you know, like, church work is, like, stressful, right, because you got... All kinds of things you're just dealing with at all time and people and problems, and you're like, I don't, "I don't know what to do with all these things. you know there are just so many of them sometimes. And we, then we came to the conclusion maybe it was a UPS driver. Maybe that's the guy. You know the guy just, I, I got to deliver packages. And they're really fast guys. Have you ever noticed that there's no slow UPS men or women. They, they get out of that truck, and I mean, the seat actually turns off the motor, right? This is so cool. They get up, they, and then they run to the door as fast as they can because they don't want to engage because it slows them down because they have to deliver so many packages in a day. When they're done, they can go home. So the idea is they're going to deliver the package. They come, they deliver the package, and off they go, and you, you just see a brown stripe going down the door, you go uh, down the street. You go, wow, that was fast. Do you realize that what God does is he delivers you from darkness, and he places you in the kingdom of his Son. Do you know how quick you go from darkness into light? You go that quick. You see, if somebody, if you have something against someone, you're going to take some time to forgive them or trust them again, but that's not God. God instantly can place you back into the kingdom of light, but you have to make a choice and you never stay on a plateau to stay on a plateau with god is to move back in time with god and and you lose ga- you lose all that Gain, uh, ground you 've gained so here 's what it says he's delivered us from the power of darkness and he 's conveyed us he transferred us so i 've been transferred I was in that kingdom, I come over to this kingdom into the kingdom of his son uh, of his love, in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. so what happened? How did I get there i didn 't get there because I was a good person or I went to church. I got there because he died and his blood was my redemption. So the idea of redeem is to buy back. So I was lost in darkness. He said, I'm going to pay the price to get you out. The price to get you out of darkness is the sun uh, and dying on the cross in his blood. That's the only way you can get out. So what happens is when I start to, I understand this truth, I start to live this truth out, and then I start moving over here. What I'm doing is I'm saying the blood of Christ is not that significant in my life. That's why the book of Hebrews warns that, that when we take the blood of Christ and we, we, we kind of make it common, it says we trample underfoot the blood of the covenant. So when I live my life in duplicity, I'm really saying that, that God is not that important to me. That the blood that he shed on Calvary is not that important to me. When you can say Jesus died on the cross for me and you say it without really contemplation and some, some really just kind of looking inward like that, introspective, and say, wow, that's really big, then you know that you, it's easy for it to become common and becomes overly common. And then you have people say, well, look, I really, you know, they'll, they'll tell you some horrible thing they've done. They said, but I really prayed about it and I felt like I got, I, I got okay from God. If I had a nickel every time I heard that, I'd be a millionaire." I prayed about it. Prayer is not designed to be a detector of truth. The Word of God is. You cannot say you heard something in prayer and it violates Scripture and it be true. See, the Word of God is living. It's absolute truth, and it's the divider between truth and error. So when a person says, well, I really prayed about it and I felt okay about it, I know they're already on bad ground. The ground is really getting shaky now because it's going to get worse for them before it gets better. There are two dimensions or two kingdoms. There's light and darkness. And here's the, here's the truth. We are trapped by sin in the dimension of darkness. Sin keeps us there. But what I found is that darkness offers everything and it gives you nothing. Here, you want this? You want this? Oh, yeah, yeah I want this. I want this. Do you realize the fall in the Garden of Eden was not a fall to fall downward. It was a fall upward. Satan didn't come and say, don't you want to be like meaningless and living in the gutter and homeless and and broken and beaten up and penniless? Don't you want to be that? There's no appeal in that. The appeal is always upward and says, don't you want to be a God like God? Don't you know your God is not a fair God? He's trying to keep the good stuff from you. What you need to do is you need to follow after your own heart, and you need to be a God yourself. And you see, that's the essence of darkness. It's when I want to be a, I want to manage my own life in such a way that God is not a significant part of my life. Darkness also operates without a future. You see, there is no future in darkness, there's no future in sin. Let me give you a scripture, First uh, John chapter 2 and verse 8. The darkness is past. And what it literally means, it literally means that. It means that it's, it's something that happens back here. It has no future in mind. And it says, but the true light is now shining and it keeps on shining. So light has a future to it. Darkness doesn't have a future. Let me get an illustration. So Jesus is he's out ministering, and he comes across a man that's, that's possessed by demons, and he says to them, he, he starts to rebuke the demons and speak to the demons, and they say, why are you here, Jesus? Have you come before the time? The time. The time of judgment. Have you come before the time? They know there's no future. They know there's the time of judgment. And they say, speak back to Jesus, have you come before the time? Is this the time of judgment we heard about? So the activity of demonic world in our world is, is not because they have a future in mind. It's because they don't have a future in mind, and they don't want you to have one either. See, that's the essence of envy. The essence of envy is demonic because it says you have it and I don't. I don't want you to have it. Instead of looking at somebody that it has and say, bless you, it's, I'm so glad you have it, that's a spirit of heart, that's a heart of generosity and a heart of the kingdom. Not to take away, not to take away a future, but rather to rejoice in it because when I rejoice in someone else's future, God gives me a bigger future. He does. Rejoice with people. Don't be envious. Don't be jealous. Rejoice with them. I want to rejoice with you and really do it from the heart. And then all of a sudden, God begins to bring the, the principles of the kingdom into your heart of expansion and future and joy and all those other things. You cannot see the light unless you're in the light. This is an amazing thought. I can't see the light unless I'm in the light. We're going to look at it a little bit later, but there's a scripture that says that in the future kingdom that we will need no, there will be no need for the sun, the moon, or the stars, for the glory of the Lord will be our light, and we shall reign with him forever and ever. And, and it's a picture of this new Jerusalem. And this new Jerusalem is, is pictured in this way as like, almost like, a, like, like the, the Jerusalem of Israel, but it's got, and it's got 12 gates. And it says, but the gates never shut by day or by night. And inside the new Jerusalem is this, this light of God that is perfect light, pure light. It never casts a shadow. You see, regardless how good light gets, it always has a shadow somewhere. But perfect light has no shadow. And so it says of God, he is light, dwelling in inapproachable light, and there is no shadow of turning in him. Perfect light. So it radiates everywhere always at the same time, and it never creates a shadow because the shadow is darkness, and there is no darkness in God. So imagine this. You're, if you've ever been on a stage where there's a lot of bright lights, and it's so bright you can't even see the crowd, Right? And, and, and so you're up here and you're saying, I know there are people out there, but I can't see them. But if you're in the audience, you look here up here and all you can see is the light. The New Jerusalem, it says, is filled with this light of God that is without measure, but outside the walls, it says, are those who do not know God. So the, the great judgment of hell is not these flames of fire. Are those literal? I don't know. I don't plan to go and find out. But I do know it says that man is separated out from the light and in the darkness because light and darkness is separated. And so the great agony of being separated from God is I'm in the darkness and I'm looking at the stage. And the stage is the new Jerusalem, perfect in all of its ways, filled with the glory of God. And all I can think about is why did I turn that down? That's the agony of hell. I can't go in, the gates are open, but I can't go in because there's a chasm fixed between me and God. That to me is the agony of hell. Let me give you a couple of scriptures. Psalm 119, 130. The instance of your words gives light. Now just think about this. All I have to do is hear the word of God, and it starts to get light into me. If you ever, if you ever feel like discouraged or defeated or feel like things aren't going well for you, let me tell you what you do. Read the Bible. Don't pray. Don't pray. It doesn't say prayer brings life. Prayer is communication because you have life. Read the Word of God and read it out loud. Just start reading it. You say, I don't want to read it, just read it anyway. What happens is here's the promise of God. The entrance of your words, as they enter into your mind, into your ear, into your eye, they give life. And all of a sudden, you start feeling life. You start feeling life. And when you feel enough life, you can start praying. Because if you pray before you get enough life in you, you'll get the wrong message. You're going to be hearing you instead of him. And you know you mess things up. Right? How many times you go, I don't know if that's God, Satan, or me? You ever had those moments? We all have had those moments. If you're asking that question, go back and start reading the Bible again. you got to get some clarity there because you don't want to follow those two other guys, Satan and you. Amen? You want to follow God. So you got to go back, let it come in. Okay, let me give you another one. Psalm 36 and verse 9. In your light we see light. So what happens is when I'm in the light, then I can see light. I have insight then when I'm in the light. When I'm not in the light, I don't see the light. You ever been around somebody that you just thought, man, they've been with God, and they're speaking about stuff about God. You've never, wow, that's amazing. And, you know, and, and, and your first thought is, I, I want that. I want, I want that insight into God. Well, it's in his light that you see light. And when you get in his light and see light, you see more light. And so what happens is our life becomes more like this. It becomes like here's the light, and it's just ever expanding to where I get more light, I get more insight the further down this path I go, and so it's unlimited. Here's what you don't do. You ever, you you know, reading the Word of God is really powerful and necessary. Would we all agree with that? Really good. And and I'm not going to do a survey here and see how many of you have been reading it because that's, I'm going to make a point by this. So if somebody walks up to you and says, hey, have you read your Bible today? You go, well, no, 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 yeah, you, you haven't read your Bible? I thought you were a Christian. Well, I, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian, Christian. Well, why didn't you read your Bible? Well, I don't know. I just didn't read my Bible today. And, well, did you read it yesterday? No, I, you know, and you're thinking, I don't like this person already. <laughs> right? And when you see him coming next time, what do you do? You run. Right? I got to get away from that person because they're asking me about, did I read my Bible? I didn't read my Bible. Now I'm feeling guilty, and I, and I don't even want to read my Bible now. I want to avoid everything. Now, new scenario, guy comes along. He goes, I got to tell you, I was reading the book of Ezekiel today. You didn't even know there was a book of Ezekiel, right? Because you haven't been reading your Bible. I'm reading the book of Ezekiel today, and I don't know what this guy was on, man. It's like he's eating some crazy mushrooms or something. I mean, he's talking about angels and wheels within wheels and the Spirit of God and all kinds, and rivers are coming and they're flowing up, and man, hey, have a good day. I'll see you later. What's the first thing you're going to do? You're going to find revelation. You're going to find Ezekiel. You're going to find some book of the Bible, and you're going to start reading it because what it did was it created an insatiable appetite for the Word of God, not because it was legalistic and forced down your throat or made you feel guilty. You just said, if God is saying that kind of cool stuff, I want to get in on it. Amen? And you create that appetite. You create life. That's why Jesus said to the Pharisees, have you not heard it is written? And they're going, it is What happened was they were reading the commentary on the commentary so much they didn't know what the Word of God said. And that he said, have you not read? Go back and read that. You're going to, they testify of me. Those words testify of me. Go back and reread that stuff. I know, I guarantee you, if we could do a survey in the next four hours, we would have people who would testify, I read Ezekiel today. And you're right, that guy was on some crazy mushrooms. And what happens is when you see stuff you don't understand, you go, God, just show me something in here. I've got to get something out of this deal because this seems to be over my head. It's not over your head. It's over your spirit. Your head has nothing to do with it. You have made me wiser than all of my teachers, for your word has guided me. Psalm 119. See, a fifth-grade kid who has the mind of God, who's reading the word of God, has more insight than an adult who doesn't have the light from God. Has nothing to do with maturity. Well, I've been a Christian 40 years. Well, congratulations. You may still be a gray-haired bottle baby because you've never matured. You've never grown in the light. You've never seen it. And then, then you're surprised when trials and tribulations come. And you go, I don't know where God is. He's where he's always at. He's fine. you got to stay with him. Stick with God. Amen? Okay, let me give you another one. i got to hurry here. I hate it when you guys listen slow. Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, verse 12. To you it has been given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God. How would you like Jesus to look at you and say, to you it is given to know the mystery of the kingdom of God, but to those who are outside, all things, uh, but not to those who are on the outside. All things come in parables, so that seeing they may see and not perceive. He said, there are some people who are going to see it, but not understand it. But to you it's given to know the mysteries of the kingdom. They're going to hear some things and they're not going to really hear it. They're not going to really understand what's going on. You see, unless you see what God shows you, you will not see what you need to see. Do you follow that? Let me say it again. Unless you see what God shows you, you will not see what you need to see. Let me give you an illustration here. I got more message than I thought I did. I'm sorry. But i got to go here. Okay, so Jesus Jesus is walking along. He sees some guys by the, they're out fishers. They're fishers of men, right? They're out there, I mean, they're fishing. And he says, hey, come follow me and I'll make you a fisher of men. First he said, I want you to understand your calling. Then I want you to understand your assignment. If you don't like your calling, you're not going to like your assignment. You ever get somebody up on your phone and you don't want to talk to them and you just push like, you know, like, send that to voicemail. Because they aggravate you. See, sometimes God calls you and you put him to voicemail because it aggravates you because you know what he wants. All right? So Jesus goes out and he says, hey, come follow me. I'll make you fishers of a And these guys do it. They drop everything they do and they go, we're going to go follow Jesus. Right? And off they go following Jesus. Then Jesus, later, he, he's crucified, he's raised from the dead, and now they've lost hope and they go back to fishing. Now watch this. These are trained fishermen. All right? Any fishermen in here? I'm going to give you insight into fish. Doug, I know you need help on this, brother, because you, you've, you've let some big ones go. I know, brother. All right. So he says, hey, uh, hey boys. Stands on, this, uh, on the seashore there. He says, hey, boys, have you caught any fish? They got nothing. He says, cast your net, over, your net over on the right side of the boat. They're, you know, they're mumbling. You know, they're just murmuring. Yeah, he doesn't even know how to fish. He might be Jesus, but he doesn't know how to fish. And what's he doing over there? I thought he was dead anyway. Coming back, scaring us like that's yes, probably a ghost. Let's do it anyway. We've been fishing all night, caught nothing. Throw the nets. So it threw the nets over there. They started pulling them in. It, was so, it, was, it says the nets were so full they started to break. Peter gets so excited, he says, my Lord and my God, he jumps out of the boat and swims to shore. Okay, another story, okay? Now we'll go a little bit further. We go down to, uh, let's see, this is Matthew chapter 17. So they come and they say, hey, it's tax season. We don't have any money. Can you relate? Tax season, we've got to pay our taxes. We don't know what to do. And Jesus said, I'll tell you what you do. Get your your pole, go down there, cast in there, and the first fish that you catch, open up its mouth, you're going to find a coin in there. Yeah, right. Right? Isn't that what you'd say? Yeah, right. They cast it out there. And I love how matter-of-fact miracles become when you live in the supernatural. They open up the fish, they get the coin, and it says they go pay their taxes. It's not like they're going, you're not going to believe this. Fish had a coin in it. I caught the only fish. What kind of luck is that? That ain't luck. Jesus knew where the fish were, told them to get in the net. Jesus knew where the money that had been dropped out of somebody's pocket in the bottom of that, that lake. And he said, fish, go get that. Bring it up there and get on that hook. See, when God, when you operate in the supernatural, the natural seems supernatural because everything you do has got the touch of God on it. Um, I, I got, like, a lot more here, but I can't give it to you because we're just out of time. And it's really the best part of the whole sermon. I knew that would get you. Some of you are going, thank Jesus, I'm done, I'm hungry, I want to get out of here. Another hour, Another hour yeah, I won't be a friend. Come back tonight for two more hours. But... Um, Here's the truth I want you to see. You have to make a decision in your life, if you're a believer, to take back territory you forfeited to the enemy. If you don't make that decision, the gravitational pull will be greater, and you will always find a reason, always find a reason to not follow deep after God, to read your Bible, or to go to church. It will all, it'll always happen. Because you can't help it. Because you're, you're working against a principle in the kingdom. And that principle of the kingdom is, I'm going to either love one or the other kingdoms. I'm either going to love God and hate the other, or I'm going to hate God and love the other. I can't live in this in-between. You have to say, I'm taking it back. The enemy will not stop any longer. He said, he, you just have to say, I'm gonna, enemy, you're going to stop. I'm not going to go this way anymore. I'm a child of God. I give honor and power, and hell is going to bow to the name of Jesus in my life. I'm taking it back. And so what you do is you start to say, in that name, I come above every name, and I say, I'm taking back my life. I'm taking back my life. I'm taking back what the enemy has stolen. I'm taking back my destiny as a child of God. I'm taking back my future. I reject the lies that I have believed, and I accept the truth that God has a future for me bigger and brighter than anything I could ever imagine in my lifetime. Amen. Let's stand together. Stand with me. We're going to sing uh, through a chorus of this song at the end here. And as we do, I want you to, I want you just to, I want you to take back some territory in your life. One of the worst things you can do is say, I'll never do that again, because you will. Best thing to say is, God, I'm making a decision today. I'm going to operate in the light. And tomorrow you get up, and he's going to make the same decision. Because you have to live minute by minute with God. Jesus said, here's what Jesus said, take up your cross daily. He didn't say take up your cross throughout the whole year. You know why he said that? Because he knew you wouldn't. It's day by day, I walk with Jesus. Day by day, I walk in his power. Day by day, I take back the darkness that tries to overtake me. I'm taking it back because he's a good God, and he just promises to bless us in all we do. Amen. Let's sing this. As you sing it, sing it unto him. Make some decisions right now What you're going to take back. It will be different for every one of you. What are you going to take back? Let's sing this.